You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Hi, I'm author Robert Degoni, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Robert Degoni. He's the author of the new book, The World Played Chess. Now, I screwed up. Did I just screw up your last name? You didn't. You didn't. You got it right. Oh, I'm so scared of it. Yes. Because as we were saying, I, I, I was embracing the Italian of it. And, and you did it well. <laughs> are, are you, are you, so your family's from Italy? Uh, my, my father is 100% Italian. My mom is 100% Irish. They met in San Francisco. Uh, oh, back, do, what, uh, do you know where in San Francisco? Yeah, Sorry in, not to interrupt. I'm no, like, no, no, no. <laughs> in, in, the, in the Mission District. Oh, wow. Uh, the Mission District was uh, Irish, and my uh, father was in uh, North Beach when it was very Italian. Uh-huh. And his family is, um, let's see, his father came over as a young boy from a little town outside of Bologna. And uh, yeah, so a lot of lot of Italian weddings and all the things that you can imagine, the, the antipastas and the salamis and the ravioli and everything. It was great. It was a great, great way to be raised because we had the very traditional Irish weddings and, and funerals and things and very traditional Italian. And, uh, you know, we don't see that much anymore, uh, that, those kind of things too much anymore. You know, um, we're sort of all becoming an, an amalgamation. And I think that's probably a good thing, honestly. Uh, we all become, you know, a little bit more homogenized. We've become a little bit more tolerant of each other, I think. At, at the same time, man, like when, when I went to Greek weddings, I loved going to Greek. I, I got no yeah. Greek in me. There, I, there's nothing for it. And then I'm like, I'm sitting there going, I'm dancing with all these fellas. I'm dancing with all these <laughs> fellas. And it's, I, you know, I, I still like to travel to the other, uh, to the yeah. other place, you know, I do too. I, I, I enjoy it. I love it. I love the different cultures and my wife and I have had the opportunity to travel to some really wonderful places pre COVID. And, and uh, it's great. It's great to see all these different you know, the, the, these different heritages and, and, and all the different traditions and customs and on food. Oh, the food, man. Yeah. The, um, yeah. Cause my, 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 so my grandparents were Norwegian and they were on 22nd and treat. They moved in the mid, that's where they landed in San Francisco. Okay. And then on the Italian side, they were in North beach somewhere. They ended up in the mission district too, though, over by yeah. Uh, Albion and 16th. Yeah. Yeah. My mom was on 23rd in Valencia. Oh Yeah. <laughs> 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 did you how long did you did you grow up in san francisco i didn't i grew okay. up uh, i grew up on the peninsula uh so i grew up in a in a blue collar town which we'll talk about the world play chess burlingame california you grew up in burlingame i did i grew up in milbray you're kidding me i went to bis no yes. seriously i went to franklin i went to bis and then i went to mills oh my lord i i went to our lady of angels uh-huh sarah high school yeah. 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 No, wow. all, the, all the cool kids were from Sarah. I remember going down to Sarah High School when I had a car to meet up with like friends. It's just yeah. like, so yeah. can, can I ask when, when you got out of high school? What was you, what year did you graduate? 87. 87. So you're a lot, you're younger than I am. I got out in 79. Uh-huh. Uh, but I had a, I had a lot of brothers. You probably, you probably went to school about the same time my brothers went to school. Huh? And, That's weird. That's funny. And did wow, they go to Sarah? Up. Yeah. 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 They all went, they all went to Sarah, except my youngest brother is handicapped. So he, he uh-huh. went to a special school. In fact, my youngest brother was in a special education class at Mills high school. Wow. Yeah. 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 It, it, what a trip. I know like, it's crazy. When, and then when I, uh, when I moved out, when I was, you know, uh, when I, I think when I was 21, my first apartment was on Burlingame Ave. Mm-hmm. Um, on, I think the street was Lincoln. So it was like tort right by the train station. Yeah. So I didn't have a car and I commuted by Caltrain to go to, to my job. And then I took Caltrain to San Francisco to, to go see bands. And yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Small world. So where are you now? I'm in Los Angeles right now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Where did you end up? I'm in Seattle. I married uh-huh. a, a gal from Seattle, but I did spend four years in Los Angeles. I worked for the LA Times uh, and then I went to UCLA Law School. So I was I spent time in, in uh, Westwood and I had a place down in Hermosa Beach for a little while. And I was out in Glendale doing stories. And yeah, uh, yeah. What did you cover for the Times? 
Um, so I came, got straight out of high, uh, straight out of high school, straight out of college, and um, I did uh, general news and general news reporting for mm -hmm. the office downtown LA. And then uh, they moved me out to this uh, San Gabriel Valley to work with uh, an editor named Larry Lane and um, did more feature length pieces, longer pieces and stuff. So had a really had a really good experience, but I, uh, I kind of chickened out of the whole writing game. Right. I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to top out at, you know, I don't even know what what the, the high salary was then 30,000 or something newspaper reporter. For, yeah. For journalism. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, all my friends were going to law school and I had always kind of had an idea that I would go and do some, do, do more education. My mother was a big proponent of getting education while you're young, you know, before you get married, before you have kids, because my father <laughs> uh, was a pharmacist and really didn't get his act together until much later in life. And he graduated from pharmacy school with six kids. <laughs> well, I think uh, I think raising six kids pretty much put your act together no matter what. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, by the time he got out of pharmacy school, he had six kids. And I think my mom said, you know, learn from our mistake, you know, go, oh. and, get, go and get your education and then have all your kids. So, uh, so, you know, that's what I did. When you were when you were uh, when you were working for The Times, did you were you also uh, in your in your writing, did you know that you had you had fiction in you, and this was just on the way, or were you really kind of go, you know what? No, this is journalism. I'm 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 in on this part of it. You know, really, Tony, a little bit of both. Um, I I grew up knowing I wanted to write. Uh, I was one of those very fortunate people that I knew at a very young age, um, no less than twelve years old. I, you know, seventh grade writing assignment. I mean, that was it for me. I was I was going to be a writer. And then uh, went to high school and uh, uh, found out I was um, not nearly as good an athlete as I uh, my brother was. So I had an abbreviated athletic career, which, again, turned out to be a blessing because I ended up writing for the school newspaper and journalism, met a terrific man who became a mentor for me for many, many years and uh, got the job at the L.A. Times. And, you know, I was really sort of thinking in terms of just writing. Um, and that was kind of the beauty of the feature pieces is, you know, the feature pieces were really all character driven. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I, I did, you know, that then I went to law school, you know, and then, you know, I got kind of sucked into that, the, you know, the, the, the salary and making money and, and the law is not a part-time job, you know, it's a, it's a full-time job. And by full-time, I mean, you know, when you're not at the office, you're supposed to be out getting business and going out, and, you know, all those things, um, and so what I did is uh, I basically fed my creative appetite by doing theater in San Francisco. I uh, did quite a bit of theater in San Francisco for a number of years. And uh, then I started writing on the side and, you know, just kind of slowly eased my way back into really what I what I wanted to do. Yeah, I find it interesting. Yeah, I mean, being a lawyer <clears throat> is a 24-7 gig. But there, there's there's people that are so passionate about it. It's what yeah. they would do anyway. And that's beautiful. You know, it's uh, yeah, I yeah. love that. Well, that's where, what you want. You know, yeah. you want to you want to you never want to go into a you know, I always say that you never want to go into a doctor who who who, you know, goes, um, yeah, I, I think I can do this. You know, <laughs> that's not the doctor you want. That's not the lawyer you want. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I just came into this so I can like get easy drugs and start selling on the side, but, <laughs> but I guess we'll do this surgery. <laughs> the, um, uh, the, I mean, uh, I got, I got all excited about, uh, uh, uh law school and all, all that stuff. We were talking about, um, after law school. Oh yeah. You were doing theater in San Francisco, theater in San Francisco. Yeah. Where, 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 where was that at? Where were, what was well, I did, I did uh, like a two year gig at the Mason street theater. Uh -huh. I did a, a show called beyond therapy. Yeah. Uh, and um, then that I, sounds familiar. You know, it was it's a it's a play that's very slow paced and dull and, and dark. And I found a director that found that if he if he picked up the speed and made it very fast, it was actually very funny. And so we did a cabaret style show at the Mason Street Theater um, for a number of years. And then my, my final swan song was um, I did Arthur and Camelot and my wife was in the audience with my my newborn 18 month old son and who had colic. <laughs> and so that, that was kind of the end of it. It was like, ah, this is not working. You know, you're practicing law all day. Then you're doing theater at night. 
Uh, and so justifiably, I, uh, that, was, that was the last thing I did. And that's when I really turned to the writing because I could do the writing at home and do it on weekends and you know, things like that. And, and as, as for acting, I mean, essentially that's storytelling as well. Absolutely. I mean, that's really what started sort of the whole creative process. I, I used to go to work as a lawyer and I would take depositions and I began to see the depositions, not necessarily as depositions, but as storytelling. These people would be telling me a story and I had to find out what, what happened, you know, exactly what happened and, and what they did and didn't do and how they did it, you know, because they're trying to tell the best story that helps them. And I'm trying to tell the best story that helps my client. And so um, it was really a, a way of, of understanding. And, and I, met, I met hundreds and hundreds of different kinds of people and saw the way that they answered questions and the way that they didn't answer questions and the way they had their body language and what they did and they moved. And, you know, and there's all those things, I think, became a part of that whole writing process of just paying attention, you know, just paying attention and listening. And, you know, I've been very, I've had some readers who've been very kind and have said, you know, your dialogue is really good. Well, I think a lot of that was from taking literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of depositions and, and hearing it, you know. And it's, and it's interesting about hearing how they say things and then hearing what they don't say. Right. Sometimes what's not said in dialogue says so much more than if it was said. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. You, you know, that's that's really the big thing is what aren't what aren't they telling you? Um, but, you know, the more you do it, the better you get and the better you get at pulling that stuff out of people. So, worked yeah, out, worked out well. Yeah. Oh, that's that's got to be fun because there's a lot of psychology involved. So you can just throw a little you could you could throw a different angle on a question and then yeah. you, you get the little nugget of, oh, wait, there there's a deeper meaning here. Is that how it goes? Yeah, or or they just you know they they begin to suspect that you know more than you're letting on, and then they begin to they begin to get concerned that you know that they're not telling the whole truth, and in some instances that they're lying, uh, and then they start to get worried, and um, the, that you can see it, you can see it in their faces, you know, you can see it in the look and everything. So you know a lot of that is really it's 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 part of storytelling. It's it's I always tell. And I teach classes and stuff. And I always tell my students that part of storytelling is, is being a, a good observer of, of people and human nature. Yeah. And, and then, yeah. And then the human nature is usually we want to tell the truth. Like the truth is burning in us. We don't want to tell the lies. We want to tell the truth. So if we're trying to hide something that's, cre it's almost like create, it's almost creating a little earthquake inside our soul, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think I, I think there are some people out there that are never going to tell the truth. Uh, you know, we can we can debate debate all that, but then I think most people, you know, they they are, they're not trying to necessarily hide things. The law is a, is a really interesting uh, profession. I mean, there's a reason why uh, so many lawyers become storytellers. Uh, you know, the Grishams and the and the John Lasquas and the Scott Turos and and uh, the, and and I think it is because. Um, a lot of that, uh, I mean, a lot of law is, is, especially a trial attorney, is telling the best story, you know, getting into a courtroom and, and telling the best story, one that the juries can understand, they can appreciate, they can piece together, they can see it, it makes sense, it's logical. Uh, and that's really what we're doing as writers, especially, you know, writers of, um, of um, you know, fiction and writers of mysteries is, is how do you lay those mysteries down so that the reader can follow along, but not, not really get the answer until you, you get to the end and you have that aha moment, you know, in that novel where the reader goes, oh my God, I didn't, I didn't see that coming, but it makes perfect sense, right? What do we, what do we call it? Because we say it was uh, inevitable, but unexpected. And, and that's, oh, really, I like that. Yeah. I'm going really to, I'm going to steal you, that actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's really what you're going for yeah. is you want the reader to, to just, they, they get hit and with that twist, you know, when you're writing a thriller, which uh, it's not the world play chess, but you're writing a thriller and there's that twist and it's like, oh my God, I, I didn't see that, but I go back and I look and it, it makes perfect sense. Um, you know, when you're writing a book, like, like the world played chess, it's almost like uh, peeling an egg is you, are, well, that's, that's, that's a horrible analogy. Let's see, I'm supposed to be a writer. Let's do something a little better. Well, yeah, but <laughs> also we're, we're all on the spot, you know? So yeah. that, so when we're on the spot, it's beautiful to, to not be totally uh, writerly sometimes. Yeah, so I am peeling an onion. 
There we go. There we go. You know, you're peeling an onion on the layers of the character mm-hmm. so that the reader can begin to see below the surface of, of who this character is and, and what what the purpose of the story really is. And that's that's really what the world played chess about. It's about, you know, a kid at 18 years of age, a young man. He's on the cusp of, of becoming a, a man. And there's no manuals out there. There's there's no, you know, there's no instruction manual for any of us. Um, and, uh, you know, he gets a job on a construction crew with two Vietnam vets and he begins to realize he doesn't know anything. Yeah. He doesn't know anything. He's grown up in this Burlingame bubble, which you're familiar with mm-hmm. where, you know, everything's beautiful. It's, it's, it's suburbia. It's, it's white. It's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's middle-class and, and, you know, there, there's kids doing paper routes, you know, on their bikes and, there's Adeline Market, you know, down the street. Where you oh, my God. Out. I love that yeah. place. Yeah. I, you get, you know, get a sandwich and a Coke for a quarter, you know. I mean, yeah. it's it's it's, it's uh, and then all of a sudden you go to work with two guys who you begin to realize they've had a totally different experience in life. And they've just gotten back from a place that, you know, it has changed them and uh, not for the better. And to, and to be in that beautiful place and realize that they were actually at the heart of just part of they, they were at the, they were at the core of what darkness of humanity is. It's just, just the utter brutality of the worst of it. Very much so. Um, very much. so. I mean, you know, people have talked, uh, I've gotten some really terrific reviews from advanced readers on Goodreads. I mean, the book is the book's got, I think, over a, a 4.4 rating on Goodreads, which is really just sort of unheard of on Goodreads. Goodreads is a tough audience, tough readers. But, you know, that's, that's really <laughs> yeah, I like how you call them tough readers. They are. I have I have another word I use, asshole. But tough <laughs> readers is fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, they they take their job seriously, that they are reviewing, reviewing books for, for other readers and whether they something that they want to read or not. But um you know, they've said that the 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 journal the the journal Williams Journal in in the world played chess about his year spent in Vietnam. There are portions of it that are very difficult to read, and that was that was purposeful because there were very there were portions that were very difficult for these young men to have to live through. Uh, and so I did a, a tremendous amount of research, you know, reading and talking and to people and and uh, getting manuals and all kinds of stuff to really try to create an authentic experience of what it was like. For some of these um, mostly young men, um, in fact, probably all young men in in terms of the infantry back then, um, what it was like to experience. Uh, And it was it was really poignant too, Tony, because when when I was writing it, uh, it was COVID. You know, I was in the middle of COVID and one of my one of my uh, one of my sources, uh, a Marine um, up in uh, Spokane, uh, Gunner Bob, Bob Mannion, great guy. he and I were talking and I, we're, the subject of COVID came up as, as it did all the time back then. And, and I said, I really feel bad for the young people because, you know, they've had to move home and they're missing their high school graduation and they're missing, you know, the college experience. And, and uh, Bob very uh, diplomatically said to me, yeah, but, but Bob, they're not being drafted and sent, you know, across the world for eight, for, you know, 12 months you know, to go through what these young men went through back then and continue to go through in other places in the world. And it was really perspective. I mean, it really put things in perspective for me about, wow, you know, he's right. Uh, he's, he's right. I mean, you know, COVID is a horrible plague that has really hurt a lot of people and I have great empathy for them, but, um, so was Vietnam. Um, yeah, <clears throat> it's, um, and it's interesting I with, uh, you know, because and Vietnam was just uh, I mean, as as it played out after was I feel like and, I, you know, I know nothing about it. I, I was a little younger, uh, but I knew about it. I was around, you know, some Vietnam vets when I did a little bit of like small construction work in Burlingame. <laughs> I was doing I had painting gigs. I was doing other stuff and I'd be around these guys that you know, were just all into guns and like hunting. And they're like, do you want some deer jerky? And I'm just like, this is the greatest thing ever. I've never had this. But I mean, the PTSD of what happened and the mental that the lack of mental um, illness, um, awareness and mental help for the vets when they were coming back from Vietnam, it was just it's utterly grotesque. Yeah. And there's going to be there is a mental fallout from COVID. And I, I don't know how it's going to happen with the kids or with the teenagers. You know, 
how that's going to shake out down the road. But but at least now I think there's a little more awareness. Whereas with with Vietnam, when they were coming, they you know getting spit after you're at war, you come back to your home country, just looking for a soft place to land. Yeah. Just just give me a break for a second, and it's just. Yeah. And it, it's no, it's going, you know, it's, it's just got to be so rattling. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I really wanted to capture for that very reason is, you know, you, I don't think you can tell the experience, honestly. Uh, and I wanted to be sure that I did because, you know, I had the stories from the men I worked with um, and, you know, I condensed this all into one summer, but I actually worked multiple summers and multiple, you know, school breaks, et cetera, with, with one of them, with one of the guys. And I really kind of formed them into this one guy, William. And so I heard a lot of their stories and I came to conclusions based upon a lot of the stories that I heard. Um, and so, but, but, you know, I, I, I recognized that I did not go through the Vietnam experience and, and I, I wanted to be sure that, that I wrote it as authentically as I could. And that's why I spent, you know, so much in the back of the book, I put in all the books, all the books that I had read you know, because a lot of Vietnam veterans won't talk about their experience, but a lot of them were very blessed, like Tim O'Brien. They, they, they did talk about it. Uh, Mark Baker wrote a book called Nam, and it's, it's this, these snippets of stories about these men and women and the experiences that they had when they were in Vietnam. And so I took all those experiences and all the experiences that I heard from the guys I worked with and all the experiences that I got from the two men that were willing to talk to me about Vietnam and then all the movies I watched and you know all the things I did I just I, I wanted it to be real so it's it's been oddly gratifying for me to get emails from people saying it was very difficult to read portions of the journal uh, I, I feel like that was sort of um, a, an acknowledgement that you know my research was was um, was on the money and it's almost like thank you because like because it makes it's a great compliment to a writer when you're like, oh yeah, that's supposed to be difficult to read. Yeah. Was it difficult to write? Cause you, I know you had, you have to get into these characters and you have to really yeah. dive in. So what was, yeah. what was kind of the emotional impact of staying with this for months on end and, and you know, really just kind of staying close, so close to them? Yeah, it, it, it was hard. I mean, um, it, 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 it was hard. I was, I was always sort of uh, fascinated by the whole Vietnam experience because I, you know, I am older, I'm 60. And so I was, you know, in, in, in the seventies, I was in my, my early teen years. And, um, and I knew people who had brothers go off to the war. Um, I remember stories being, being told stories about guys in their dorm rooms running down the hallway with a, a, a red four painted on his chest which meant that they had just done the draft and his birthday was the fourth day picked, which means he's going. Uh, and so there was a lot of, you know, the, the things that I, the things that I heard and, and I picked up a copy of Mark Baker's book way back then. It's in, it's a first edition. And, uh, and I read those stories. So there was this, I, I think it, I think you'll appreciate it was this, this dramatic difference between, you know, growing up in Burlingham, California, and then watching the news at night and, and having the ticker tape go across the, the bottom of the TV, you know, the, the black and white TV about how many, how many young men had died, what, what, how many casualties we had uh, there. I mean, can you imagine today? I mean, look at what, what we, we went through in, in just Iraq, for instance, you know, and, and, and in Afghanistan. We weren't losing men and women, but that's because we were better at keeping them alive. But the number of, of men and women that have come out of there maimed and missing limbs and, you know, uh, mentally uh, damaged and everything. It's just, it, it's tragic. So um, yeah, it was hard. I, I became close to William, but because this is, I wrote this in first person narrative, I'm obviously a lot closer to Vincent uh, than William. William was, William has become sort of a mentor uh, for Vincent, but um, I can't imagine, I, I can't imagine being 18 years old and going through what these guys went through. And, and that's what they told me when we would go out and we'd be drinking beer and eating pizza. And, you know, that, that one minute they were in San Carlos walking down the street and, and hitting the, the side mirrors, there was a way that you just bumped them and you could break the side mirror off. Bam, 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 bam. I think and, that's a peninsula culture. Cause we used to do that stupid stuff too. Yeah. You know, and, and they would, they'd leave the whole street lined with mirrors that they had bumped off. And, you know, uh, you know, four months later, 
there's in the bush walking through holding a, you know, an M16 and, you know, all of a sudden guys are shooting at them and, you know, uh, booby traps are going off. And, you know, I remember Rod telling me it was just, you know, it was crazy. And, and coming home was crazy because there was no, we're going to gradually bring you back in. It right. was literally, you're on a plane, you landed, you're in San Carlos 36 hours earlier, you're in the bush. Now you're in your, your parents' home. And, you know, he fell asleep on the couch and he was smoking a cigarette and the couch caught on fire and he nearly killed himself. I mean, it's just, it's just nuts to think of this stuff that these guys went through. Yeah. When, uh, uh with the, with the, um, with the, with the people that you brought in, uh, the Vietnam vets to help you on this, what, what, have they read a final copy of the book? I asked, I had Bob do it. Yeah, no, I, I had Bob read the, the final drafts and he read the drafts as I was going along and he would oh, say, okay. no, oh, that's great yeah. of him. Oh my God. Yeah, that's- no, yeah, no, it was absolutely terrific. He'd say things like this would be in a Marine's uh, bag. This is what he'd be humping with. Uh, you know, this, this is the kind, you know, little things like, you never slapped a full cartridge into the M16 because the M16 used to used to jam. And so the first thing that these guys would do when they got a cartridge is they take the top two bullets out. So the spring wouldn't be so tight. And then they'd slap it in and then it wouldn't jam. So, you know, a lot of, lot of little things that, that the, you, you wouldn't know unless you went through the experience. And the, and those are so important because I, uh, because I feel like you'll lose the trust of the reader if they know. If they know something like that, you've lost the trust of the whole book. And so when, so when you, when those details are put in, you're actually keeping that kind of that, uh, that contract we make with our readers, where it's just like, you know, no, we're writing this from, from a, in the end, you know, from an honest place, I guess, is the main thing that I look for in novels. It's just like, does this feel honest? Right. Um, do, do I feel connected to it? And if, you know, like, I, like people who try to write about San Francisco and they're not from there and it's just like, oh, and I had a house by the Golden Gate Bridge. And you're just like, all right. Next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I think I, I felt an obligation to the guys I worked with and, and some of the guy, other guys I knew and just, the, you know, the guys that will pick the book up. I, I, I felt an obligation that, you know, if I'm going to write about a subject um, I wanted it to be authentic. I wanted it to be as close, close to, to real as I could. I'm sure I made some mistakes. I'm sure, and I'm sure there are people out there that are going to point them out to me. Uh, and that's okay. Um, but they're my mistakes. I, you know, I want to be sure that, you know, that, 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 that they're my mistakes and I, I take full, uh, credit and, and, and or blame. Um, but I, I my, you know, the thing that was, uh, would be really the most rewarding to me, it would be, and I've had this happen is, you know, have a Vietnam vet read it and tell me, you know, you wrote my experience or I, I, I'm having trouble getting through this because I really don't want to go back. And that's why a lot of Vietnam vets won't talk to you is they don't want to go back. It's not where they want to be. That, that's interesting. And it's, and that's just, a, um, you know, I was thinking about it earlier as we were talking and I thought of it as shame. But maybe it's not shame. Maybe it's uh, maybe the horror of it is just so awful that even like opening the mouth and talking about it is uh, it's just it, it'll bring up too much. It's it needs yeah. to be compartmentalized. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, we've all we all go through tragedies in our lives. Um, my wife, family and, and I, we went through a, a tragedy about six years ago and um, when she lost her brother. And she has, she has said those exact words, Tony. She has said, I, I finally had to come to a place where I had to say to my brother, I'm sorry, but I have to put you in a box because I have to go forward and I have to, I have to live my life. And I, I can't live my life if I keep going back to that really dark and horrible time in our lives. I have to put you in a box and I'm going to go forward. And I think, I think that happens sadly for, um, for a I was going to say a lot of people, but it probably happens sadly to everyone in, in one form or another. Uh, yeah. And, and I think that's when we have the empathy and the human connection. That's when, that's when, um, you know, uh, or where sometimes I'll talk about the tragedies that I've been through and yeah, the people that go, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. And there's a little bit over overzealousness and they're sorry, which, you know, I know they're just, but I know that they haven't been through it yet. Yeah. And, and the people that are going, that just kind of go, ah, I get it. Those are the ones you go, all right, it's, and, and not that there's anything bad with someone that doesn't get it, but it's just, uh, it's just that it's that connection of, you know, we're not the only, it's it, what the beauty of it for me is 
I like to know I'm not the only one with these crazy tragedies. There's people with crazier tragedies and we're in, we can come together and go, we've both been through that. We get it. And then, um, and then what kind, what kind of nachos would you like? Do you like yeah. jalapenos on your nachos? And then, you know, yes. <laughs> we yeah. can go, we can go in and out of the, the beauty of, I guess, connection and communication and, um, not always have to be, you know, heavy, 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 even if there is yeah. heavy in our lives. When you get to be, you know, when you get to be my age, you know, six years old, you begin to realize that everybody has something. Everybody has something. It, it's, it's amazing. You meet some people that you just think, God, I, that guy's got the best life. And then you, the more you get to know them, you, you, it's, you know, there's, there, there's always something. And I think that's the connection that people are going to have with this book. The world played chess is, they're going to connect with it on a, on a, on one level or another because everybody is everybody has to grow up and everybody has painful experiences growing up because that's part of growing up is dealing with it, with those painful moments so so that you can learn from them and and you can move forward whether that is going off to college uh, and whether that is going off to work whether that is in, in this instance, you know, young men going, going off to war. So it's really not a book about war. It's not a book about Vietnam. It, it, it's a book about a book about growing up and breaking away and, and finding what your destiny is. And I often liken it to, you know, what people can uh, relate to is people when they go back to their, re, their high school reunions, you know, that first, <laughs> that first five years back, you know, every, everybody's talking about how great they are and how much money they're making and what yeah. jobs they have and every, the, every and then you go back at year 10 and, you know, there's a lot less of that. And there's more of just, uh, you know, hey, how are you doing? How's life? And then by the time you get to 20 years, nobody cares what you do for a living. They just it's a they have an opportunity to spend a, a, a night with you at, at the high school reunion and talk and, and shoot the crap and, you know, just have a good time because everybody realizes, you know, we're all at different places in our life. but that doesn't make one place better than the other. It's just, what are you content with? Yeah. And, and that's really what this, this book is about is, is finding that moment um, where you, you, you realize, you know what, I, I'm, I, I like who I am. I, I like where I'm at. And I've, and all these experiences that I've gone through have shaped me and brought me to this point in my life. Wait a second there. How do you like who you are and where you're at in your life? Cause I need to understand that. <laughs> Ah, you strike me as a pretty, pretty happy guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all sorrow underneath this joy. It's all sorrow. No, uh, no, I, um, I, it's, it's just, in a, it's intriguing. Cause, uh, I, I, especially when, especially when we're writing, cause we are diving into conflict, uh, on, on the page, you know, and it's just, it always intrigues me how much we're trying to avoid conflict in real life. And then, but on that page, that conflict better be you know, hit. Yeah. And it's, it's one after the other, right? And yeah. I, I just, I just got through uh, reading one of Hannah, uh, um, Kristen Hannah's books called the great alone. You know, this young girl that goes up to uh, Alaska with her Vietnam father and um, mom and the father starts to, to really dissolve into a worse and worse place through PTSD and everything. And, you know, this just, it's just, and you get, you know, almost to the point, like, oh my God, you know, just get on a, get on a boat and get the hell out of it. But, but she's just so good about prolonging the conflict and one after the other and after the other and after the other. And that's what gets readers to turn the page is, yes. is, you know, they're afraid to see what's next, but they're more afraid of not knowing what's, what's next. And so they, they just, they just keep flipping that page and, um, or, you know, the Kindle, they're like this, you know, um, <laughs> back in the day, you know, my wife would climb in bed with a good book and, you know, it'd be two o'clock in the morning and I'd kind of wake up from my half sleep and the light would still be on. And I'd, I'd say to her, honey, you got to turn off the light, you know, and, and she'd be like, well, I, let me, let me just finish this chapter. And then she gets to the end of the chapter. Oh my God. And she's got to flip the page. You know, that's what good writing is, is it's, it just draws the reader in and it captures them and it doesn't let them go. Yeah. Those are the best. And that, and that's, um, I, it's, uh, yeah, it's, that's, that's the reason we're all in this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so we could be, so we could do it, so we can do it, so we can do that as readers and then we can try to do it as writers, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean, that's what entertainment is. And, um, you know, I always, I, I never lose sight of the fact that, that that's what I am is I am, I am an entertainer. 
And that's what I do. And, and, and my job is, is to, is to entertain people. And, and if my books are not doing that, then it's my fault. It's not theirs. It's, it's my fault. I love that too. Cause like, you know, if uh, being like being on like the film side of things and also like the novel, I, I always love like in the end, the novel is like, feels like the true writer where it's just yeah. like the writer lives and dies by this. If you're yeah. the screenwriter, somebody can go screw it up somewhere and yeah. it could be screwed up in a hundred different ways. Oh, and um, they bring in more people and more people get involved. And yeah. And, and you know, I, I've had books that have been optioned and, and I've, and they've asked me, you know, do you want to write the screenplay? And my emphatic answer is no, because you never uh, even wanted to just give it a, give no. it a one shot. Why no, not? Well, two reasons. One is I felt like if, if, to give the book the best chance of getting made into a movie, I needed to have an A-list screenwriter. I needed to have somebody that had some cachet. And, mm-hmm. and my name is going to have no cachet in L.A. Uh, as, as a quote-unquote screenwriter. And but he got an Italiano name. The Italiano yeah. name is so beautiful. It uh, flows, you know? <laughs> and then the other reason is just um, I've come to that point in my life where I realize the things that I do well and there are things that I don't do well. And there are people down there that can write a, a far better screenplay than I could ever write. Uh, and, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm being too hard on myself. Maybe I could write a great screenplay. But honestly, I would rather write the next great book. Uh, that's kind of where my thought process is. And if I got if I if I got into this whole screenwriting, I mean, I would take that would take time away from getting the next book out. So, I, you know, I try to do what I do best and enjoy and, you know, if, if that changes down the road and something gets made into a movie and I get to participate in it and I find that I really, really enjoy that, that um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Tony, that that format, mm-hmm. then may, maybe that's something that I'll I'll try down the road. But right now I'm very content and very happy. What, what was the first time that you found out that your book was optioned for film? What was the first book? In the, the, well, was the first the- book was was literally years and years ago. It was the Cyanide Canary, which was a true story, and mm-hmm. it uh, and it got it got picked up, and it, it didn't go anywhere. But it got picked but, up. But when but when you got the picked up phone call, mm-hmm. did you think it was going somewhere? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I, and I could imagine who would I who would I want to play the parts and yeah. and you know how they would tell it and and how they would do it. And but with that with that. Um, with that joy also comes those phone calls where you begin to realize they're not going to make the movie that you necessarily wrote. Uh, they're going to, they're going to change this. They're going to change that. They're going to cut this. They're going to add this. And, and so, you know, it's, a uh, it, it's, um, it, it's just something that I don't get, I don't get super, super excited about the whole idea of, Oh my God, it's going to be made into a film or it's going to be made into if it happens, it happens. Uh, but for me, it's the, the joy I get is really in the writing of the books. Yeah. No, I just, because I've been close on certain things where mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh my God. And I tell all my friends and everything, this is all going to happen. And, and they're yeah. just like, and now I look back and I'm like, I'm right. I'm making a list of like all the stupid things I've done in this writing game. Yeah. And it just, just so I can put together some type of book where it's like, here's what I did and you don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, and we do have uh, it's like we have to get you know i mean i had to get to the point of um accepting oh that's nice it's optioned it means yeah. nothing yeah, yeah. <laughs> have you when you when you first got started do you have those memories of of what you would say at the academy awards speech when you oh no no i still let me tell you play? i still <laughs> that i still and no matter what the award speech is in there even when i'm writing something i'm like <laughs> but i and then I, and then everything's done and I know it's never going to get there, but it's nice to know. It's almost like, um, it's almost like playing the lottery. You go, you know what? Here's the, here's the ticket. And if I win blank, blank, blank. So yeah. it's just like, as, as, as you have something finished and you go, here it is. If I win, um, who, what resentment do I still have in my heart that I could really just shove it at them at the Academy Awards speech? Yeah. You know, it's not the who I'm going to thank. It's who I'm going to like, just so try good. to derail their lives. <laughs> well, you, you have kind of that, that uh, film producer look with the, with the beard and the hair. You, you sort of, a, you got sort of that Francis Ford Coppola look to you when he was young, you know? 
I thought you were going to when you say producer look, the next thing I think of is me too. I think of uh, Harvey Weinstein. You got that sort of no. producer look? I'm like, no, oh my no, God. No, 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 I got to change no, I'm thinking, my life. I'm thinking more like Francis Ford Coppola, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's funny. Well, I wish I had the cachet of like, you know, Francis Ford Coppola's pinky toe, but yeah. I guess I don't. Yeah. Don't we all? I know. It's all about cachet. Yeah. Um, oh, so when I grew up, so back to the peninsula. I was a Jehovah's Witness. I was knocking on your door. Ah. And I, well, so I don't know if you had Jehovah's Witnesses coming. We did. We did. At, at times we did. And, yeah. and you know, I uh, I have become a lot more accepting. Uh, and, you know, from from and that's kind of what I'm talking about is you have to live through the experiences. You know, if I'd have a Jehovah's Witness come knock on my door and I'm a 17 year old kid, I'd be like, hey, I'm, I'm Roman Catholic. Go away. Yeah, you know, I'm right. You're well, wrong. you're that was the night. That was the nice. Those were the nice ones. Um, the, there was there was, you know, I, I left the Jehovah's Witnesses, but the um, but the usually it was a door slam. There was a lot of yelling and we were still yeah. banging on those doors. If someone said I'm Roman Catholic, leave me alone. Yeah. That was a that that will chalk that up as a. Whew. Yeah. Well, I, you know, one day I opened the door and, and there was a man standing there and he said, you know, hi, uh, is Patty here, which is my mom. And I was, and I said, well, what's this about? And he said, you must be, you must be uh, her, one of her sons. And I said, I am. And he said, my daughter was taught by your brother at, at Burlingame High at uh, uh, BHS. And, uh, you know, and such, and he was a Jehovah's Witness, but beyond being a Jehovah's Witness, he was the father of a daughter who my brother taught and coached in basketball. And you know what I mean? He, he was a, he's a good guy. Is just, Do you remember was, his name? I don't know. Oh my God. Cause I probably know him. No, no. but I mean, you know, that was, that was, it, it was his religion. So going through that experience, I opened the door a lot more um, knowledgeable that, you know, you're not, you know, you're dealing with a human being here. Yes. You're, you're dealing with a person, a father, a, a worker. A, and, you know, all those experiences, um, you know, uh, the guy that was going to take out my wisdom teeth was a, a, a Mormon. Mm. And um, my sister was going to school up, up in, um, in Pocatello, Idaho. And, you know, he said something to my mom about, well, have they converted her yet? And my mom said, Oh, you know, doctor, you know, those people up there, they, they believe in screwy stuff. Turns out he's a Bishop, you know, and, and my mom was just, mortified that she said it mortified she said it. she's a lovely wonderful lady and she wrote him this long apology and the whole time all i'm thinking of he's gonna be taking my wisdom teeth out <laughs> hopefully the wisdom teeth he's probably gonna take the <laughs> front Just, teeth out. yeah yeah oops we the different i got the different chart excuse us yeah I, you know i mean so but all of this is just it they're their life experiences that you learn from and I, I, I really, I, to go back to the world played chess, I, I, my hope is that people are going to really identify with uh, Vincent and with William and with the son, Bo, uh, not in, in terms of, of necessarily Vietnam, but in just in terms of, you know, what they went through when they grew up and, and what they learned from it. Yeah. And then, and yeah, what, and it's like about what learning from it and then also what choices do we make in our lives from what we know when uh, and what we've been through? Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. some people make really bad choices. I, you know, I've made a ton of bad choices, but yeah, then you start have. to, yeah, you start to go, Oh wait, okay, let's go. Let's try this other route. Let's see what that is. Yeah, no, no doubt. Absolutely. No doubt. What was it like uh, going from Los Angeles to Seattle? Did you, did you go, did you start, I mean, the, the weather, the, the see I want to talk about seasonal what is it seasonal affective what is it called sad seasonal affective disorder which yeah. I which I have okay uh, I I, I definitely I definitely go through it um, and you know the beauty of the career that I had was I did a lot of traveling and I had a lot of books come out and so I would go to LA for book signings and uh, the LA Festival of Books and I'd go to Phoenix for book signings and I'd go to Florida for book signings and California for book signings so I always got my my son, Phil, and I was fine. Um, this last year was really difficult because I didn't travel because of COVID, you know, all of us. Um, but, you know, I'm sure some people are going to gonna watch this and go, really, that was what you were. But, you know, it was that. Well, was we're, was we're, we're audio release, not video release. Okay. So that's so. what, it, you know, impacted you know, my life kind of a thing. Um, but, um, you know, there is, there is a, a difference 
is as you go from Southern California up the coast to Seattle. And I really notice it um, when I practice law more than anything. And I used to tell people the level of antagonism increased dramatically the further south you went. And the reason for that was, is that there were a lot more lawyers down in LA than there are up in, in you know, uh, Northern California or in Seattle. And those lawyers got to make a living. So every slip and fall case becomes a million dollar case. And, you know, it's just, it, it was, I just, um, the people in, things are all changing, Tony, as you know, I mean, you know, because we're having all kinds of climate change and all kinds of things going on. And so Seattle is not the Seattle that I came to 20, 25 years ago. Uh, it's much bigger. It's much more expensive. It's much more crowded. There's much more traffic. There's much more big city crime uh, than there ever was, which is which is fabulous for my Tracy Crosswhite police investigative series. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, there's yeah, always yeah. stories. Exactly. You know, there's always stories. I love that. I'm I'm so bummed that we didn't have a festival of books uh, last year and uh, this year. There was. I love the green room. Cause that's, I just, yeah. I see all my friends. I haven't, it's that there's that once a year where I'll see a bunch of people I haven't seen in a yeah. year and yeah. I know they'll be there. Yeah. It's, yeah. It was one, the one year I was down there, I was sitting between Robert Craze and um, Michael Connolly. And I swear to God, I was the piece of bologna between two, you know, <laughs> fabulous slices of bread. I was, I was, it was one of my first books. Uh, so nobody knew me. Uh, there was just these huge tunnels of lines on both sides of me as I sat at this table. Oh, right. And, and they were, you know, they were so gracious. You know, they, I, they would say, you know, hi, do you like mysteries? Have you read Bob's books? And, um, but, you know, that's something you got to go through as a writer to really experience, really appreciate it. You know, I, 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 the only experiences I have are there's two people at my line and 55 people at the person yeah. next to me. And I just go, bless you. Bless you. Yeah. I'm just happy to be here. Yeah. Now, I, you know, things change, you know, uh, I'm, I'm in a boat now where I'll go to signings and, you know, I'm, I'm the guy with the line and yeah. I'm the guy saying, you know, hey, have you read so-and-so's work and it's really good. Or, you know, I, I don't know when's the last time I, I read a book that I just really wanted to read and wasn't asked to read. Um, because now I get, I get asked, uh, quite a bit and I actually have had to have it go through my agent. Um, you know, Hey, it's, you know, but I, I people are trying to, they're trying to get a leg up. They're trying to get yeah. a, a foothold in this, in this business, which is exactly where I was at some point. So I'm always, I'm always, you know, I, I appreciate what people are doing and I understand it. And that's the thing it's, it's, I love reading for entertainment only because a lot of times mm -hmm. i'm reading for the podcast or mm -hmm. it's or it, you know there's a um i used to i used to write on the uh books end for the san francisco chronicle so i was reading constantly before i would be profiling authors mm -hmm. and um and it's uh and that that beautiful time when you just pick up a book and it's just like a dead author i can't interview this guy i can't do anything about this and you just read it for reading only. And I, I, I used to think it would, you know, like 20 years ago, it'd be so fantastic to, to get a free book and read it and then get the author and read the book before it even comes out. And then there's a point where it's just like, it'd be so fantastic if I can go to the library and get this book that by this author that I would have gotten anyway. Yeah. Yeah. What's yeah. the last yeah. pleasure book you've read where you're just like, you, you read it on, you were just, I, that's a, I know it's a hard question to come at because I know, we're all reading tons and tons of books, but I mean, if something pops to mind or no, actually I got a, I got a different question. Can I, okay. can I pull that question back? Yeah. Yes. Can we pretend like that didn't happen? Yes. All right. The, cause you talked about writing in seventh grade. Mm -hmm. What was, what was the books? What were the, whatever, what were the books that you read that you went, this is awesome. How are they telling story just from words? Was there like a book or an author that just really pulled you? Um, so, all right. So, um, it, it, the evolution of Bob, I guess, is what we'll call this, right? The when evolution Bob, of Bob. Okay. <laughs> so when I was when I was you know young in grammar school, my, my mother uh, had been before she started having kids and became a full time mom. She had been an English teacher, and so 
Um, I had older brothers and sisters. And so when I was in grammar school, I was a bit of shit, you know, uh, I was cocky. And my mom uh, began to hand me books, I think, to keep me from being bored. And, and so my mom handed me these books, like The Great Gatsby, The Old Man and the Sea, The Count of Monte Cristo. And how, are, how old are you at this time? 12. Okay. Uh, of Mice and Men. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, did I say The Great Gatsby? I, just said, I yeah, mean, yeah. All, you name it, all the classics, right? That you would, you would get it in high school and you sit in a class and they, over four years, you read all these classics. Well, those were the classics for me. And um, The Lord of the Rings. Uh, and I just sat there and I, I mean, I, I, I couldn't get enough. I couldn't get enough of these books. I would just read one after the other. And then my mom would talk to me about them, um, uh, you know, and, and what I thought of, of, of Holden Caulfield and Catcher in the Rye and, and all these things. And, and it wasn't that sad. And, da, da, da. And, and I began to see what these, what these writers were doing as they were telling stories of lives lived and incidences lived. And then I got sort of turned on to when I read Larry McMurtry's Lonesome Dove. I just thought that was probably the most brilliant book I've ever read. Uh, I mean, it was just absolutely phenomenal storytelling. And I, I, it, it might be the first book that when I was done, I was 30 years old and I wasn't married. I had had a longtime girlfriend who I had, uh, we had, you know, ended ended the relationship with and so i was 30 years old and i remember i i, I finished a lonesome dove and there was captain call back in lonesome dove by himself peewee was gone uh gus was gone they were all gone they'd all died and i cried i cried for him because i so truly believed that this was real this was a, a real thing a real story and then more recently, the, 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 the guy that really just has really hit home for me is, is Stephen King in the books that he, you know, um, The Green Mile and um, 1122-63 and Mr. Mercedes. And, and you know, I, I, I'm not a horror guy. So his horror stuff is not things that I read. I'm too big of a chicken. Um, me too. <laughs> but his other things, um, you know, um, what's, the, what's the classic um, uh, Shawshank Redemption? Oh yeah. You know, I, yeah, I mean, I just feel like, uh, he is on a level that nobody else is playing on. So that's really where I, where I kind of have come from. What, um, when you were, when you were seriously working on your first book, when, when, when did you, when did you realize that you're seriously, that you're taking writing so seriously that this is it, this is the game plan. Um, it was re- it was really early on, even though I wasn't I wasn't doing a lot of, of writing. I was doing journalistic writing. I was doing news news articles and features and things like that. Um, I just always had this this belief that this this is what I was going to do for a living. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, I. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the name, but the guy that wrote the great Santini and um, um, South of Broad Street. Um, Anyway. No, don't worry, I'm drawing a blank too. So. Yeah, no, it'll it, it, it'll it'll come to me here in, in any moment. I mean, just a really famous author, but you know, I I just I just always kind of felt that that this is what I would do, and that was um, you'll appreciate, I'm sure, that was both arrogant and idiotic because writing a book is really hard. It's it's hard to write a book well. Anybody can write a book. But to write a book well is really, really hard. And I had to take a lot of lumps and a lot of beatings, um, a lot of rejection letters um, before I was able to take a step back and say, you don't know enough. You're not good enough. You are basically building a house and you've never before even framed a window. And I took a step back and I, and I um, found books like The Writer's Journey and um, Saul Stein on writing and Donald Moss's books and Stephen James's books. And, you know, I have a whole library, uh, a shell, just shelves filled with books on how to. And I, I took a step back and, I, and for about two and a half years, I just learned. And I learned and I learned and I learned. And then when I read novels, I was reading them critically 
why does it work? Why is this working? Why is it not working? Why do I not care about this character? And I just, I just really had to kind of take a step back. And you know what? That's when I started to find success is when, you know, I, the, the, the process of storytelling became so innate in me that I didn't have to say to myself, okay, now I'm going to have the call to adventure. Now it just, it was innate in me and the character and I became one and the same. And I was no longer writing from up here. I was writing from inside here. And what is my character feeling and what's the expression she's having instead of necessarily what she's thinking, because what really moves people, I think is, is what the characters is experiencing internally. And, and you have to get to that point where the storytelling is almost innate. Uh, and it's, it's so you can focus on the more important thing, which is, is what is your character experiencing? You know, what are the, what are the details? Um, I could build a room. I know enough about construction because of my jobs in the summer that I, I could frame the room, but, you know, bring, bring in a designer and let that designer decorate the room. And you want to become the decorator. You want to become the person that when people come into your room, they look at it and they go, oh my God, I never thought you could do that with window dressing and wallpaper. And what that's what you want for your books. You want people to, to pick up your book and not just say, you know, oh, this was neat the way they went here and then they went here. No, you want them to pick up your book and say, oh my God, you know, I, I, never, I didn't expect this. I didn't expect to have all these feelings for this character and what this character is experiencing and going through. Um, Kristen Hanna, uh, I read The Nightingale and um, I wrote her an email and I said, you know, this is a phenomenal story. Where did you get this story? Mm -hmm. And she said, sometimes great stories just fall in our laps. And what we need to do as writers is step out of the way. In other words, just let the story be told. And uh, I just thought it was really brilliant. And since then, I've had a number of experiences where some really incredible writers have said almost exactly the same thing. Um, you know, and so uh, that's really what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get out of my own way. Robert, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I, I appreciate it. I've enjoyed this very much. And, and, and it's, it's so funny how small the world is to be talking to a guy that, you know, grew up in Millbrae, California, right next door to me, uh, you know, Mills High School. Um, that's, that's really phenomenal. That's funny. And, and, you know, best of luck with all the stuff you're doing too. It sounds like, it sounds like you're well on your way and doing things. And, and uh, you know, I, uh, I hope someday I'm sitting watching the Academy Awards and I do see you come up. And I do see, I'm going to say, I knew that guy. <laughs> and, then, and then it's going to be, okay, now who is he going now? Now, how much resentment has he held on to? And who yeah. is he going to name? I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Robert. Thank you.
You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. <laughs> 